This episode of Never Not Knitting is brought to you by Sixth and Spring Books. Check out the knitting book selection at www.sixthandspringbooks.com. Hi, this is Alana, and you're listening to the Never Not Knitting Podcast. Hello there, and thank you for joining me back for episode 42. I'd like to start out this episode by announcing the winner of last episode's drawing giveaway. Everyone who left a comment under the show notes for episode 41 on my blog was entered to win one of five copies of the Knit Circus gift issue pattern collection. I picked five commenters at random using the online random number generator and I'm happy to announce that the winners are CKS Knitter, Christy, spelled with an I, Cindy M, Janine Puckett, and Ursa. But wait, wait a minute. Remember that there was also the grand prize of the year's subscription to Knit Circus Magazine? I chose another commenter at random, and the grand prize goes to a knitter with the screen name of, or at least I really hope it's their screen name, Pretentious Wombat. Congratulations to all of you. If you heard your name or screen name called today, please get in touch with me to claim your prize. Please write me at nevernotknitting at gmail.com. Okay, so on to the show. I have a great episode in store for you today. As many of you already know, I have a special guest joining me. A very special guest. But before I share that interview with you, I'd like to first update you on my knitting. Over the past few weeks, I've continued to work on my design project here and there, but mostly I indulged in some tiny sweater knitting. Yes, I knit up a little six-month size sample of my Playful Stripes cardigan pattern in Blue Sky Alpaca Sport and Melange. Quite truthfully, I probably shouldn't have knit this sample myself. I am so busy lately, and I probably should have just paid one of my sample knitters to do it, and instead spent that time knitting on my design projects. That probably would have been more responsible, but I just couldn't resist this little sweater. I've been wanting to knit this pattern again for some time, especially after seeing so many cute versions and so many fun new colors pop up all over Ravelry. That striped yoke on this sweater is just extremely addicting. And I just had to know how the combination of colors in the alpaca was going to turn out. It really wasn't my fault. I just did what I had to do. Additionally, over the past few weeks, I've gone on two trips back to back, which involved me spending a lot of time as a passenger in a car. Unless a design project is really easy, it doesn't make for the best traveling companion. I always have to stop and do math or write things down, and that's just not easy to do in a moving car, especially when you're prone to car sickness. Also, the project that I'm designing involves lots of cables, and I'm notoriously terrible at working cables in the car. I've attempted it in the past, and it didn't turn out 
very well for me. No matter what I do, I always end up dropping that darn cable needle in between the passenger and driver's seat without fail, even when I'm being careful. Now, I know that you can work a cable without a cable needle, but unfortunately, I've found out that I'm just not coordinated enough as a knitter to work that technique efficiently. It seems to take me way too long and it feels next to impossible to execute on large cables. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. So basically, this cable design that I'm working on was just not my first choice for a traveling project. This cute, tiny, soft, colorful, playful striped sweater, however, was. It has some nice sections of plain stockinette stitch with a few increases thrown in here and there, so it was just perfect. It didn't require a lot of my attention, and it was small enough to easily fit in my knitting bag. I will be using this sweater for a future trunk show sample. Currently, I have three trunk shows traveling the U.S., but they're all booked up to appear at different yarn stores for the next six months. I thought that having three sets of samples would be enough, but now I'm thinking that I should probably add some more. I feel bad when shops would like to display the samples, but have to wait that long to have them for their store. So who knows, maybe someday you'll be seeing this little sweater in a shop near you. So anyways, since I took this little sweater on my trips, I was able to finish it up rather quickly, and I really love the way it turned out. The alpaca is really soft and lovely, and I seriously am in love with this combination of colors. I chose an oatmeal colored yarn for the body of the sweater, and the yoke is made up of a combination of burnt orange, kind of greenish gold color, turquoise, and chocolate brown. It may be hard to visualize, but those colors work really great together, and the sweater just turned out amazing. I have pictures posted up on my blog if you would like to see it. All in all, I enjoyed knitting this sweater again, especially in the six-month size because it went so much faster. When I was done with the sweater and working on the finishing, I realized something else about myself as a knitter, though. Not only am I terrible at working a cable without a cable needle, but I'm also neurologically impaired when it comes to grafting stitches together with the Kitchener stitch. Now, I'm pretty good at remembering things. I remember the names of elementary school teachers, classmates, even my childhood friends' old phone numbers. But I cannot, for the life of me, remember the instructions for the Kitchener stitch. Maybe if I was one of those knitters who knit sock after sock after sock. But I'm not, and I don't. So I remain very Kitchener stitch challenged. I don't know if you're like me, but every time I go to start it, I cannot remember how it begins. I'm sitting there thinking, is it purlwise into the front stitch, or knitwise into the back stitch, or... Maybe it's the other way. I don't know. And in my frustration, I find myself pondering questions such as, what does this stitch have to do even with kitchens anyways? You know, it's an odd word, kitchener. 
kind of like stockinette. Those are two words in our knitting language that took some getting used to. To me, Kitchener shouldn't be the name of a stitch. It seems much more appropriate as a title, like Kitchener, someone who spends a lot of time in the kitchen. Now, doesn't that sound more reasonable? I came to the Kitchener stitch in the playful stripes pattern when I use it to seamlessly join the stitches under the arms. When I came to that part in the pattern, I again had to look up the instructions for the 50 billionth time. I have my Vogue Knitting Quick Reference Guide permanently turned to the Kitchener Stitch instruction page. Recently I came across a product that I think I'm going to have to treat myself to. I found it in the Pattern Works catalog, and it's a zipper pull that you can attach to your knitting bag with the Kitchener Stitch instructions printed on it. Apparently, I'm not the only knitter that has this deficiency. This seems like this would be quite a helpful tool for me. I'll see if I can find this product online, and I'll post a link in the show notes for you to check out, for those of you who can sympathize with me. Recently, I had the unbelievable opportunity to talk to and interview one of my most favorite knitwear designers, and I'm very excited to tell you that that designer is Debbie Bliss. Yes, seriously, you heard me correctly. It's Debbie Bliss. I feel very privileged. Debbie Bliss is such a big name in our industry. She was one of those people that I never expected to be able to actually have the opportunity to talk to. It was really a surreal experience for me. In the course of planning this interview, I emailed her and mailed her something, and the whole time I was thinking, I can't believe that I'm writing Debbie Bliss. I can't believe that I am mailing something to Debbie Bliss. And as I called London, England for this interview, I was thinking, I can't believe I, Alana Dacos, am calling Debbie Bliss. This is just too bizarre. But I did. And I was really nervous. But Debbie is pretty much the nicest person ever. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation I had with her about her latest book, Design It, Knit It, Babies. Hi, Debbie. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good. Well, I just can't tell you how thrilled I am to have you join me on the podcast today. I've been a fan of your work for years, so this is just really exciting for me. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. It's lovely just to hear you say such flattering things. (laughs) If only my daughter was listening. Well, I'm sure that probably, if not every listener, I'm sure that 99.9% of the people listening today are familiar with your work, your yarns and your patterns. But what I think that everyone would really love to know a little bit more about is you and how you began in this industry. So... Yeah. Do you mind sharing a little bit about yourself no. and how you began? No, not at all. I um I went to art college in the in the seventies and I, I did a fashion and textile course which was incredibly fine art based, which meant that I could do incredibly wacky, amusing things for three years, but then was in, absolutely unemployable then for the next, for about three years after that. So um 
I realized very quickly that I was very, very bad at things that were quite technical, like pattern cutting. Um, huh. And at the time, there was a sort of fashion for, um, a bit like it is, it, it comes full circle, really. It's a bit like now you see things like, you know, knitted cakes and knitted objects. There was a kind of trend for that at the time, but not using knitting, it was using fabric. So you'd have things like um, cakes on a plate that were made out of toweling or and I started to develop um, knitted flowers and then ah. at the same time I was working in factories and you know working in hospitals as a cleaner to support myself and then got some publicity because of the um, pl- knitted plants and then magazines started asking me to you know contribute you know like like um, you know garments and sort of fashion knitwear so that's that's how I started. Ah, okay so how did you how did you learn to knit? I know that mum must have taught me when I was little, but I haven't really got any memory of that. But then when I started going around to magazines, and because the plants had been all machine knitted, then I realised, full of fear, that um, they were commissioning hand knit. So I, I raced back to my mum's for the weekend, and then um, as I knitted my first commission, while she retaught me to knit. So I suppose it was really. Um, it was going back to the craft I see. after a long time. Interesting. Is design and art and knitting something that you've always been interested in, or did you have something else that you um, wanted to do and or anything like that? I think when I first went to, I'm not sure what it's like in the U.S., but over here, um, you do a foundation year at art college, and then you decide what you're going to do your degree in. It could be fashion textiles, it could be graphics, or it could be you know, um, 3D. Mm-hmm. And actually, at the time, I was interested in being like a graphics um, designer. But I was rubbish, to be <laughs> honest. I just really wasn't very good at drawing, which is, of course, a huge handicap when you want to be a graphic designer. So then I went, I thought, well, the, the other thing I'm really interested in is clothes. Mm-hmm. So that's when I went, that's when I applied for and got into the um, fashion and textile design. Okay. And it was really through strange kind of I think it was because I was so bad at everything else I ended up doing knitting I was sort of wandering aimlessly you know didn't I was too nervous in the photographic department to learn how to use a camera properly Mm -hmm. um couldn't really work out how to do um as I say pattern cutting so wandered into one of the other studios where somebody was working on a knitting machine and that's when I started experimenting with that I think it, as I say I still think I kind of fell into it by chance and really at the time it was it was it was designing that I was interested mm-hmm. in and I don't know whether um there's something a bit more forgiving about knitting and um uh, hand knitting you know the actual fabric mm-hmm. rather than sewing so I probably ran towards it as a sort of um as it, as it being a very friendly kind of area of textile design I see so how did you evolve from from what you were just saying into having your own line of patterns and, and even into your yarn line? How did that all come about? Two things, really. But the most, well, actually, no, if I was honest, it was just one thing. I just got, you know, I was in my middle of 40s. I'd, um, you know, been working in, you know, because I was never really involved in ready-to-wear knitwear design, I did do a couple of collections for Baby Gap and something for Marks and Spencer's, mm-hmm. but my background and history was always in publishing so it was designing knits for people to knit Mm -hmm. rather than I say for people to buy so I'd been through the books I was doing and the design work I was doing I'd become interested in yarn I see but the real reason was is just that 
we were always so completely broke all the time, you know, because, you know, hand-knit design um, is, has always been so badly paid. Mm-hmm. And I'm convinced that's because it's always been an area, you know, where women traditionally were the ones that were doing it. And I don't know whether that that has ha, has had an influence on it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, all the peop- other designers I knew, you know, over the years, always found it a struggle if they're working for magazines or freelance and were mm-hmm. perhaps teaching at the same time or you know having to support themselves in other ways right then I had a shop for three years and I sold a tiny bit of yarn but mostly it was little ready-to-wear things for children toys you know selling the books mm-hmm. um and then after three years I could have renewed the lease but I just suddenly thought I don't know it's it, you know, it always seems to be such a struggle, but I thought I'm too old to actually retrain probably. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, to to leave it because I, I just sort of loved um, the people I met. I loved the work. I was still passionate about design. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suddenly thought, oh, I wonder if anyone would ever be interested in doing, you know, um, uh, a yarn range with mm-hmm. me. Um, so really it, it came from that, the sort of idea is either I've got to leave the business or um, I've got to, you know, see if there's another way I can stay in it, but perhaps in a different way. So I approached a a new distributor that was um, um, setting up and they were very interested. Um, It was a time when it was so exciting to be involved in yarns because there were so many yarns around, you know, particularly in the US. Mm -hmm. I can remember coming over 10 years ago and going into the yarn stores and seeing these amazing blends, you know, like wool with angora with silk. And I sort of kind mm-hmm. of was just wandering around open mouth <laughs> within the UK at the time. A blend was probably wool with a bit of nylon. In, oh, you know, wow. Like, what a difference. I, yeah, I felt like I was coming from a third world knitting <laughs> world, you know, over there. So um, that was ju- it was just amazing. Uh-huh. So you started your yarn line around 10 years ago? Is that what you're saying? Yes, okay. yeah. Wow, are you amazed by how much it's grown? Because it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm sort of stunned, really. And I think also I'm, I'm stunned because I sort of work, um, you know, I think sometimes people think that when you're a brand, I, I find it still very difficult to realize I'm a brand. Because huh. um, I, in fact, somebody, what, what, one of my um, stories is that some years ago, I was at a cocktail party, like, I think it was at a trade show, and somebody said, oh, Debbie Bliss is coming. And I turned around to the door and said, oh, amazing, lovely. And then I thought, oh, no, that's me. <laughs> and I was just so mortified at the idea that now she was going to think I was barking mad if I said who I was. And that's when I realized that I see my name on a label uh-huh. and I've kind of sort of, uh, sort of it's, it's had a, a strange dislocation oh, from my real life. How you know. funny. It, it is quite strange. It's, 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 somebody uh-huh. else um it's been um I, I think i often think that people must think that if you're a brand you know you have this sort of huge company and there's this hierarchy and uh-huh. you know sometimes people ring with a yarn query and they and then they're oh is it you on oh, what you're answering the phone as if somebody you're right right answered the phone yeah it's quite funny because um I'm very lucky. I've got this. I've got an assistant that helps me now, which is just amazing. I just can't get over the fact there's there's someone to help me with the computer when it goes on. Yeah, um, I've got a pattern checker and somebody who helps with the compiling, mm-hmm. but it's still really, really hands on. You know, you one minute you'll be doing redesigning, another minute you'll be answering emails from Italian manufacturers, another time you'll be looking at you know 
new yarns or new colors for the following season. So so, so you're very much involved in the process. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes I wish I wasn't quite so involved. But, <laughs> but the pluses are, you know, because the workload is very heavy, but the pluses are is that, you know, you're just involved in every part of mm-hmm. it. And that's lovely. I love the idea that it's still sort of like a cottage industry in a way. Because yeah. I think once once things are very big, and I know it's a, it's a sort of... Um, uh, cliche and a bit the sort of men in suits but there is that when everything is um agreed by committee and yeah. um and it, it's not you know it's not like that and that's lovely because I think that relates to knitters much more you know because um you know I think if they realize that as they say that you know there's still a passion for the craft and it hasn't become some I don't know uh, a, a sort of much bigger company where you become separated out yeah. from it right um it is still very much hands-on. And more personal. That's neat. Yes, yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. Well, I have to tell you that I love your patterns, but I really, I really love working with your yarn. I've used it on so many projects I can't even count. And it's, oh, good, yeah, it's just some of my favorite yarn. I especially love the, the mm-hmm. cashmerino um, in oh, a different yes, way. I love cashmerino, yeah. Great yarn. Yeah. I was wondering, what's your favorite out of the whole yarn line? Um. You know, it's funny. I think it's a bit like children. Yeah. You know, you like them differently. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, that sounds awful. I don't like my children differently. <laughs> I should have said. I know I what you mean. I love them equally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for for different reasons. You know, I like the pure wool Rialto because it's sort of bouncy and a bit tiggerish. Um, and I love the um, Cashmerinos, particularly the baby Cashmerino. I love Eco Baby at the moment because that's a new one. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it gives a you know, a crisper feel to the garments, but it still means that I'm working on the baby designs, which I love to do. So mm-hmm. I kind of, um, yes, I, I like them for different reasons. I see. Um, but if I had to choose a very favorite, I think I'd say Baby Cash Merino because um, it was one that there was a kind of reluctance to go with, with the distributors, because they felt um, that perhaps people didn't knit in finer yarn. So I was a bit nervous when it came out, thinking, oh, no, this is going to be where I'm going to have to eat humble right. pie. But it did do really well. Yeah. So I feel kind of a sort of, I feel like Baby Cashmerino really is my baby, <laughs> in a way. And I feel, um, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that it did turn out to be successful. Oh, yes. You know, I've, I've knit so many out of Baby Cashmerino, so many projects. Mm. No, I, I love that yarn as well. It's right. a great weight. Okay, well, I have your new knitting book in front of me right now, the yeah. Design It, Knit It Babies. And yeah. I, when I first found this book, it just immediately appealed to me because not only do I love all of your books, but yeah. <laughs> I have a four-year-old at home. So um, finding a book yeah. that was about designing for little ones is just um, right up my alley. I love design and oh, good. love knitting for little people. So. Yeah. It's just a great little book. But I was wondering, in the past you've put out knitting pattern books and, of course, your Debbie mm. Bliss magazine, but what made you decide to take the leap into a design book with the Design It series? Mm. Um, actually, it was it was quite some years ago now. I was having um, lunch with Trisha Malcolm you know, from Vogue Knitting and Soho Publishing. That was over. We've been great friends for years, and I think it was one of those lunches where I just – um, start, we were just sort of talking about design generally um, and I think I was saying how you know something like often in the design world that 
hand knitting or knitwear is seen almost to be sort of like a poor cousin of it. And then <laughs> I distinctly remember getting overexcited about how you know, when you put an Allen together, you know, you know, we all really agonize. Should it be a six stitch cable or a four stitch? And then trying to get the cables together so they've got a kind of harmony in it, mm-hmm. waving my arms around like a mad woman. <laughs> And a, a strish to a credit didn't get up and move to another table. But um, she did say, oh, I think there's a book in that. And I said, oh, no, no one would be interested. I'm, you know, this is just like me going on one of my rants. And I said, no, I really think people might be interested in, in the sort of creative process of putting it together rather than it being, you know, more on the sort of technical side mm-hmm. of it. So it stems from that really. Yeah, well, it's a really unique concept for a book because not only does it have your patterns, which everybody loves, but it's kind of like an inside look into your design process, which is intriguing to people who follow your work because Mm -hmm. we wonder, Mm -hmm. how can one person be so talented and know all these things? (laughs) So it's really a treat for us. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm so pleased at the response because I'm not used to writing a lot, you know, I'm used to doing the patterns or perhaps, you know, I even agonize about the titles. And when publishers say, could we just have four lines to introduce the pattern? I go, oh, no, I don't know if I can do four lines. So um, it had a lot more text than anything I've ever done. And it's quite, it's one of those things where you think, well, I'm interested in that, but that might be really boring for other people. So I remember feeling really quite nervous about the tech side of it. So when people have responded and said that they've liked it, I've just felt incredibly grateful because I've, I've, I've realized and then that that has come, you know, that has come over and it's, it's quite difficult to get, you know, the right tone sometimes. I, you know, I, I I have to be very careful. I don't start gushing, which um, (laughs) can put people off, I'm sure. Um, So I'm I'm really, really pleased if people have found it useful because I'd like to demystify it because I I, I often think that um, I meet so many talented knitters that I think are already designing, Mm -hmm. even if it's, you know, perhaps altering, um, you know, a pattern that they've used a lot. I think that... And sometimes they don't have the confidence to think they can design as well. So mm-hmm. if I think that it's made even one person feel confident about and, and wanting to go on that, the first steps of that journey, you know, I'd be delighted to, to, to you know, feel that, um, that because that's what I wanted the book to do, really, to, to kind of share things, but also to demystify it if I could as well. Right, right. Well, yeah, I definitely think that you accomplished it and I find it really, really inspiring and it just, me looking through it gives me so many ideas of all the things that I can do with a design that I just maybe never thought of before. So yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed it. So um, I was wondering if you could share with the listeners a little bit more about your design process. I know it's kind of um, broken up between the chapters of this book, but I thought maybe mm. we could go over some of the chapters together and you can share that with yeah. those listening that may not have the book right in front of them. Yeah. Okay be delighted to the um the first the first um chapters are about um the first chapter is sizes and shape mm-hmm. you know I, I really enjoy doing um fashion knitwear because i like to design garments that really flatter women mm-hmm. when you're designing for children and babies it's different because they're basically tube shaped right, really. right. but they are they are tube shaped with a nappy at the yeah. end of it so um even things like making the may line which um is a 
you know, it, it looks very cute on a baby or a toddler anyway, but also it's very practical. Yes. And so that I've shown in um, in the first chapter mm-hmm. different ways of getting that A-line, whether it's a little vent at the back or whether it's in shaping. It might mean a pretty little smock dress where the smocking or the pattern brings the fabric in so you get an A-line too. Mm-hmm. It's also um, thinking about practicality as well because um, having a a baby that had colic for a year, my, my um, son, oh, Bill, boy. I... I not only wanted to have things that well at the beginning i wanted things that were stylish mm-hmm. yeah. i soon realized that taking things off him particularly things that got stuck over his ears was just it was just torture for him bless him so mm-hmm. it made me think about things that were more practical as well the obvious one being sort of you know like buttons on the shoulder but also doing um more ballerina style or crossovers or having jackets rather than sweaters because they were so much easier to get on and off right so each chapter has the, you know, explaining the the process behind the design and then has um, swatches that will show you how to perhaps achieve that as well. Right. And then there's a, a chapter called Soft and Gentle, which is about, you know, the kind of yarns that aren't particularly good on a baby and the ones that are. Yeah, I liked how very... you contrasted that. You didn't show just the good ones, but you showed ones that wouldn't be ideal too. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've used the baby, uh, sorry, Cash Merino Aaron for two projects in there. One is a little hooded cardigan because I love the idea of things being cherishing and gentle around the head, but they're not particularly good at keeping hats on babies. So right. I think hoods are really ideal. Yeah. Then. I made that cardigan a long time ago. Um, a couple years oh, really? ago. Yeah, I was in your Simply Baby mm-hmm. book, right? Is that the same oh, one? that's right. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I made it for my niece. It was really cute. Oh, lovely. Mm-hmm. And then there's a patchwork blanket there too that has initials, um, an alphabet at the back so that you can, I love the idea of customizing it to make it even more personal. Yeah. There's um, a color class where I talk about putting colors together and there's some sterile swatches. Um, mm-hmm. It also talks about um, sort of scaling down patterns too so that they're not too overwhelming. Right. Um, putting colors together, putting motifs on them too, so that in the back of the book, there's just a small selection of motifs, like a rocking horse, um, ducks that they can put on their, um, you know, their own design. Yeah. There's, and there's a chevron cardigan too, a sort of slightly missoni look, which is a really, really easy way to start on color, because color can be quite intimidating mm-hmm. if you're, or if you're new to that particular technique. Right, right. There's um, a simple sweater for children, but with an alphabet that you can put in, you know, sorry, um, initials you can put in using the intarsia Mm -hmm. method. Small and Perfect is a chapter that's particularly aimed at the premature babies or very small babies. And so that becomes a more practical chapter too. Mm -hmm. It's saying about not having shawls that are um, lacy, um, having them so that you know they're quite dense fabric because their you know fingers and things are so tiny. Right. And a garter stitch cardigan, which is very simple and has um, minimum amount of seam. Yeah. And then it goes through to I've got a, a page called a chapter called rough and tumble because mm-hmm. I think it's and that's quite an important what I think chapter in a way because it's about sizing in the quite often people think that I make sizes that are too large for children, but it's about them having enough um, growth 
in them for a couple of years. Also, the fact that because a lot, particularly boys, are wearing sweatshirts and they're wearing very lightweight fibres, that sometimes they can feel that um, a hand knit just doesn't have the same kind of lightness to it. It doesn't have the um, uh, sorry, it, it doesn't ha- have the sort of room in it for them to kind of swing their arm or, arms around or not feel restricted when they're right. playing. It's, it's so, all about practicality. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. And you can still make things look great, yes. but um, there's nothing worse, I think, than people knitting things and the children don't want to wear it. So it's really listening and we'll, or, or um, finding out the kind of things that they want to wear mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Definitely. So there's hooded top in there and a little... Um, jacket with movement yeah, so and then pretty special is more about how to make um just putting um little edges things to make um you know dresses look a bit pretty mm-hmm. pico edges yeah there's um something i call the spanish dress because it's something you quite often see on the continent which i think is really lovely which is when there's a knitted bodice and then a fabric the rest of the dress is in fabric, and that's a very easy one to achieve and just looks very special, I think. Yeah, very cute. And then there's accessories, and there's also a chapter on how you can add things on mm-hmm. to your knit as well. It may be a little bit of ribbon to pretty up a very basic cardigan, or there's a dress that's got little flowers around on the yoke as well. Right, very cute. I like how in these last chapters, um, you you really didn't leave anybody out. You talk about designing for preemies, designing for active children, and designing things for special mm. occasions. You really covered all the bases there. It's mm. really, that was oh, really, good. I like it. Also, I wanted to mention for those listening that not only does Debbie go into detail about um, each of each of these subjects that we talked about, you know, choosing colors and choosing um, sizes and shapes and everything, but there's also patterns included in each chapter which demonstrate these techniques that she's talking about. So you can see an example of it. You know, this book can be for people who are interested in designing and learning more about design, but it also if you're not quite ready to start that yet, this book also has a lot of great patterns that you can just follow and get the idea of how these things are implemented before you start working on your own. So I just wanted to mention that as well. But um, another thing that I find really, really um, unique and just awesome about this book is the last chapter, um, chapter nine. Would you mind explaining some of the features that are in that last chapter? It's a kind of, we call it a sort of starter kit. Mm -hmm. Um, There are... um, there's things about needle sizes which are often quite useful when people are going between sort of metric or imperial US sizes. There's, they can photocopy little labels that can be used on something, that particularly if it's, if it's a gift. Mm-hmm. I love that. There's the motifs. There's um, an alphabet which is useful in that you can either use it you know, in color or you could use it in, um, in stitch. Mm-hmm. And then there's basic shapes. These are really um, the kind of outlines, if you like, of different shapes, Mm -hmm. because that's the way that I start. The first thing I'll do will be to draw out a basic shape so that I can then see it and think about where I might put pattern on. So, for instance, there's a round neck pullover shape. um, And there's an example of what I would do with that, which is possibly put, say, a a moss ditch edging, but then perhaps make a decorative um, button band mm-hmm. on it. There's um, 
A-line shapes, there's a sleeveless dress. And again, as I say, that's, that's how I start when I'm doing not proper fashion sketches, but I'm just doing these sort of outlines. Mm-hmm. I can even be doing it sometimes. I know designers often say that they have a sketch pad with them wherever they go, and I've always wanted to be that kind of designer. <laughs> but like business cards, they never seem to be on me. So I'm doing things like paper napkins. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing on those, and you know, it's kind of much the embarrassment of my children. Who, <laughs> My son said to me a few weeks ago, I thought there'd be a time when I stopped being embarrassed by your mum, but you know what? It hasn't happened yet. Oh, <laughs> so, I know. Um, yeah, so that that's what I'm doing. I'm always doing these outlines. And then I might go, I can see that shape working with perhaps a cable joke. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps I can run something down here. In many ways, actually, it's the best part of it because at this point, I'm invincible because I can do anything I like on these drawings. Right. And then it's only when I actually start to recreate them <laughs> in wool that Oh, no. Mm, no, I can't run that cable down into that. Or <laughs> Right. Yeah, so it's just, just um, for you to experiment and get ideas. And yeah. Yes, yeah. I really liked that feature. I don't think I've ever seen that in a book before. So mm. I thought that was a really good idea. Mm. I think it probably came from Soho when um, they saw all the little doodles and sketches I've been uh-huh. doing. Um, said, oh, actually, you know, they were very good Soho. So, oh. Because I'm so used to doing it, I, I never think, always think it might be useful to somebody else. So actually, it's really good if somebody else can go, no, I think that that would really help. And it's a good, it's actually a good way of starting because I find that sometimes um, I don't, d- depending on what the yarn is, if it's a new yarn, I'll start with the yarn because I need to know whether it drapes, what, you know, mm-hmm. what, what are the characteristics that I can best bring out in the design. Right. But sometimes I get, it's it's a bit like being, um, you know, when people get writer's block, you can get designer's block. And mm-hmm. then I find going back to these outlines and sketches is a way that it, it kind of releases that in a way. Yeah, that's neat. I was wanting to just go back for a minute to your yarn chapter. I was interested mm. in um, learning that, you know, what you um, described as your favorite yarns to use for baby wear. You mentioned um, baby cashmerino in the book and also eco yeah. baby. And yeah. um, I'm not really familiar with the eco baby yarn, but I believe that that's one of the yarns that we're going to be giving away in the drawing giveaway for this episode. Oh, that's yeah. Right. yeah. So I wanted to um, find out more about it from you. I came out with a um, an eco yarn in in an Aran way last year. Mm-hmm. And it's organic cotton. Um, the dyes are non-toxic, and the water's also recycled. So it means it becomes, you know, the the water that it's dyed in becomes, you know, reusable again too, which is good. Mm-hmm. It the cotton originates from um, a uh, sorry from a, a manufacturing where you know there are very um, good processes in terms of you know helping people uh, who to you know to 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 farm organically as well mm-hmm. and and i and the yarn's also very beautiful because sometimes what can happen with um the more planet friendly yarns that they don't always however much you want to be very green they're not always that appealing necessarily mm-hmm. it can be that um you know you're rough or something or uh-huh. yes yeah exactly um so I was really pleased with it. But I, I also knew that with um, people being so um, interested in the baby cash marina that there are some 
people had said to me that they loved it and would love to use it for some babies that they knew, but they knew that the babies had perhaps eczema or something where they would react to the wool in it. So that's when I started thinking, oh, it would be lovely to have the baby cash merino weight version of the Eco Aram. Mm-hmm. So that's um, what I came out with. And it has been really successful. And it's, just, it's, it's really beautiful. And it's nice to have something that has all the really uh, lovely characteristics of baby cash merino, but that just has a certain different look to it. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, it, it's crisper, right. but it, it knits up beautifully. I love knitting in it as much as I do in the baby cash merino. Yeah, nice. So that's great that the knitters have an option between the two. Yes, so they can use, if they have baby cash merino patterns to, you know, an existing booklet of mine, they can, uh, you know, redo the garments in uh, Eco Baby because they're um, they're interchangeable, the two. Yeah, years. very nice. Okay. Yeah, Baby Cash Merino. I haven't tried Eco Baby yet. I'd like to in the future, but um, Baby Cash Merino, what a great baby yarn because it's so soft and just wonderful, but you can also machine wash it. I mean, it's it's ideal. It's perfect. Yeah, I think that because I do do think it's really important to have a a yarn that not only is lovely or, you know, is, is beautiful to knit with and really sort of gentle against the baby's skin, but, you know, most mothers are, are really tired yeah. a lot of the time and there isn't always time to even with small garments you know like hand wash, hand wash them yeah. and yeah so it's wonderful to be able to throw things into a washing machine yes and I, I've got a pair of socks that I've had in baby cash merino for years mm-hmm. and I abuse it <laughs> you know this isn't a very good thing to have on a label but I, <laughs> I throw them in with everything else I'm doing on a cut wash and then I because I want to get them back on again, you know, I put them on a radiator, and it's still lovely, even though obviously that's something that I wouldn't advise your listeners to do. <laughs> right, right. But I think it just, I think it just proves that, um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it has, it is really practical. Yeah. So if their little hand knit sweater accidentally makes it into the washing machine with everything that's else, right, yeah. it won't be ruined. It'll still be fine. <laughs> I see. I see. Okay, well, thank you so much for sharing all about the book. That was really um, interesting and great to hear it in in your own words. But um, I was wondering if I could ask you a little bit more of personal knitting questions. Hmm. I was wondering, what is your absolute favorite thing to design? Because I know you do all sorts of design work, so what's your favorite hmm. thing to work on? If I had to say what part of what I do do I love the hmm. best, I would say... It's the beginning when I'm starting to put a collection together and I'm doing the scribbling and thinking and trying to get the ideas, you know, to sort of come in and the flow of it. But then my very favorite bit is going to photography. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm really excited that tomorrow I'm going to go to a photography for the magazine. It's the spring issue and we're doing photography on some florals and on some mohair and different things. So, Mm -hmm. and I'm really excited about that because... You know, I've got a lovely stylist who, when I'm showing the garments, will go, oh, that was lovely with that. Oh, that looked great with that. Mm-hmm. You know, lovely hair and makeup person. The photographer's lovely. Um, and it's like being in a team. And because I work in isolation so much, mm-hmm. um, I love it. I love that that wonderful feeling of things all coming together so that it's... Um, because, you know, there, there are lots of things that can go wrong with hand knitting. Right. I still open a parcel from a knitter with a mixture of huge excitement and trepidation because 
I can make a mistake in a pattern. I can, the knitter's tension might go a bit wonky. Yes. And so it doesn't, or sometimes there are things that are that wonderful in my head, but actually <laughs> probably should have stayed on the <laughs> sketch pad part of the journey. I see. Um, but at the stage when you're looking at the pictures and you think, oh, I, I just really love working with other people. I think that's, that would be my <laughs> favorite part of it. I can think of a garment which I think I'm the most pleased with. Mm-hmm. In um, the first Design It Knit It, there's a garter stitch coat that is flared. And one of the things that I talk about when I'm talking to knitters or doing presentations is that um, I really do care about how things fit onto a you know a woman's body mm-hmm. and, and where they at what point they come to. And because you know it's a traditional English pear shape. I hate things that are going to be tight across my bottom mm-hmm. and across my hips. So I like to get sort of A-line shapes into um, into something. I like to think about where things go under the bust and just to make things really flattering. Right. And there's just just so happened that this grey garter stitch coat um, just looks lovely on everyone. Hmm. And it's, it's something that um, I get huge pleasure out of when I'm taking a sort of trunk show round. Uh-huh. Um, saying to people, oh, just try this on, because I think we're going to look lovely in it. And they do. It doesn't matter what shapes or sizes. It's just one of those things that it just came out right. Wow, that's, <laughs> that sounds great. That doesn't always happen. I, I, now I want to go look up that pattern and <laughs> find where that right, is. Please do. <laughs> that's neat. It's gray and garter. Okay, <laughs> okay, I will find that. You know, um... I just wanted to quickly mention, because I've made so many of your designs, What my mm. favorite design that I've made from you, I've always made um, your children's things, is oh, yes, in yes. your Simply Baby book, you had a seed stitch smock coat, and it had a... Oh, yes. That yeah. turned out, that was the cutest coat ever. That was like my uh-huh. favorite thing I've ever knit. I mean, it was time consuming, because it's, you know, on like size mm. three and five yeah. needles, but um, it it was just, it turned out so adorable. That was my favorite. Oh, oh. And that had that A-line. Oh, I'm really pleased. Yeah. Yeah. Because now if I'm thinking about one of my favorite styles, it would be that smock coat. It's something I've done. I'm sure people go, oh, no, not another smock coat that she's put in a collection. But I can't help it. It's just so, I just right. love the way they look. Uh-huh. And I, I, I love the history of them as well. So um, particularly as my... My grandmother remembered farmers coming to chapel wearing their posh smocks with lovely embroidery on. So I think oh. it's got, I not only really love the shape, but there's just something about the history of it I find really sort of enchanting, really. Yeah, that's neat. Um, yeah, I remember when I made that little coat for my daughter. I mean, people were, people wanted to buy it off of me. I mean, they just wanted to take <laughs> it off and, like, leave. They were just, you know, people were offering me all sorts of, you know, Type some money. I was like, no, it's not, you know, <laughs> it's one of those things where after you complete it and spend all the time knitting it, there's no no yeah. amount of money, you know, would be worth mm. it. But anyway. Well, I'm, I'm pleased, pleased that you kept on to it. Oh, yeah. Great, great compliment. Thank no, I've, I'm saving it. Just, yeah, it's just a beautiful little coat. So I, I just wanted to mention mm. that. So um, with all of design work you do, I know you must have to work all the time to put out so many mm. gorgeous patterns. Do you ever get to keep the items that you knit or are you able to ever do any personal knitting for yourself or for family members or anything like that? Not really. I think with the the, um, 
the the garments that I have that have gone into books, I I keep them because um, so that when I go around to presentations, I've always got them there right. to um, uh, you know to to, to show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I I, well, I I do wear the grey coat, uh-huh. but it, and my husband always moans that he hasn't got anything that I don't make anything for. Oh. Which actually just isn't true. It's just that I took out. <laughs> I was looking through winter clothes because um, it's got very cold suddenly here, mm-hmm. and um, I bought out from a cupboard a Donegal tweed shawl collared sweater that I'd given him a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. which he's obviously put into the hot wash. Oh, no. and I bought it out, and it was. I could have put it on our dog. Oh, and um, it was so stiff. I could have. I could have um, just stood it up in a corner. That's true. So, and I have had to say to him that cables aren't there to catch the dirt. But um, so. Oh boy, that's terrible. My um, my daughter will occasionally say that she likes something too. Uh-huh. And also the stylist um, Mia, she often likes some of the some of the things. So if there's any spare, mm-hmm. I'll um, you know she'll she'll um, she'll have something too because she likes my fair Isles, which is very nice. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Well, yeah, I was just wondering how all that works because. I know that you just must be so busy, and so I was thinking, how could you possibly ever do anything? Yeah, no, I don't. And um, I still really like knitting things for other people's babies, Mm -hmm. Um, and I really enjoy that. And also, I think it's, I remember that I did something for uh, Mia's um, little boy, who also happens to be my great-nephew, because... um, keeping everything in the family. My stylist is also married to my um, nephew. Okay. <laughs> but so when Frankie was born, I knitted him a little hooded top with an F on uh-huh. it. And it really, I was so pleased because it gave me that connection back with thinking that how you feel when you're, you're knitting for somebody that you mm-hmm. love or when it's a gift. Right. Because, of course, when I'm doing it... Um, all of it is, you know, it's what I do. It's my, it's my career. Mm-hmm. So yes. um, I obviously want to knit, I want to design beautiful things and I want them to be things that people want to make. But you can't really ever exaggerate the connection that you get when you're actually doing it for somebody that you know yeah. um, was going to think that it's really special. Right. And just recently, on, on a Friday evening, I have um, just with a few people, we call it, and Prosecco and knitting night, although depending on the amount of Prosecco is the amount of knitting that gets um, done. But um, they're just a few young people that I've met um, who have had babies and wanted to start knitting. And and Mia hadn't done any knitting before and just started, you know, the usual garter stitch square. And then she started making other squares just to, um, you know, try out different stitch patterns. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, she'd got this wonderful patchwork blanket so within probably a couple of months she'd gone to not knowing how to knit at all to this beautiful patchwork blanket Mm -hmm. and then um, she gave it to a friend of hers that was pregnant who was just completely knocked out by it the fact that Mia had spent that time Mm -hmm. and sort of very lovingly made this patchwork blanket for her and I think Mia Mia was then saying oh I really get it now having done that you know because she said I was worried that the squares weren't perfect enough and Perhaps I hadn't sewn them up properly, but she said the look on her face when she gave her friend this this blanket for the baby was just extraordinary. Mm-hmm. So Mia now gets it, you know, that she realizes that to make something, to knit something for someone is a... Very uh, it, special. You know, it, it's special and that 
But I think younger people really appreciate it because normally they'll get things from, you know, the big stores or... Right. Um, so that that reminded me again about that wonderful connection that you get when you make something for someone. Yes, most definitely. I was wondering, after looking through this beautiful new book of yours, if um, you've come out with so many great books. Um, I loved every single one of them. But do you have any other projects that you're working on um, or anything that you can share with us about the future? Do you have any design projects in the works that you're excited about? The um, I, I love working on the on the magazine because I've always loved magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've always been, you know, I just love published work. And I suppose my, um, you know, my great love has always been reading or, you know, when I was younger, certainly more than knitting. So I have a passion for the magazine particularly. And in the, the spring issue, which I'm working on now, will be all new work. And um, because in the past, the idea was that there'd also there'd be half, you know, there's 36 designs, so 18 of them would be new. 18 would be from past mm-hmm. collections where perhaps the, the um, you know, the book that hadn't been reprinted or because we felt it was reaching out to knitters, say, you know, on newsstands or in bookshops who perhaps, you know, fairly new that wouldn't be familiar with their local yarn store. That right. They would be introduced to some of the most popular designs that I've had. But now... Now that, you know, we've sort of, um, you know, the, with a good circulation and, you know, a, a feeling of really going forward with it, mm-hmm. um, to say the spring issue is going to be all new work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really enjoying, you know, working on that. Um, in terms of any other projects, there'll be more booklets coming out now to support new yarns or existing ranges. Mm-hmm. So where it used to be perhaps three books, you know, coming out, for winter and three booklets coming out for spring summer. Mm-hmm. Um, now it will be six or seven booklets oh, coming wow. out because as the ranges, as, as my line gets bigger, mm-hmm. you have to kind of support the other qualities as well. So there'll be a lot more um, patterns out there Ooh. for knitters. How exciting! <laughs> yes, <laughs> I can't wait. Good, um, that's lovely. The um, the, the new book that's just come out too is the uh, is the Knitter's Yearbook as well, which is fifty two projects. Oh, um, so it's um, yes, it's uh, it's kind of mad and frantic and hectic. Yeah. I think after I left college and worked, you know, in the hospital um, and as a cleaner in the factory, oh. I just realised how incredibly privileged I am to do something that I love. So. Yes, definitely. Um, I just wanted to ask you really quick before we close today, um, you mentioned that you're designing patterns for your new yarns. Do you want to share yeah. just some of the new yarns that have just come out? Oh, yes. Um, there are two new yarns. One is Andes, which is this absolutely beautiful blend of mulberry silk and baby alpaca. It's just lovely. So it's one of those things that, you know, knitters pick up in the hank and just go, oh. Yeah, I can imagine. Go, oh, yes. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, it's incredibly soft, um, picks up stitch detail really well as well. So there's a book called Andes that's just come out, a booklet with 12 designs in. Okay. And then the other yarn is a real um, uh, change for me because when I first started out with my um, yarns, it was when 
the fancy yarns were incredibly popular. And although I've always really appreciated the fact that they've been out there because they've attracted particularly new mm-hmm. people to the craft, because people could, you know, like make a scarf up right. in the evening, a sort of fabulous kind of colours yeah. without knowing how to use colour work, I thought they were amazing. But mm-hmm. because my design work is around stitch, yes. whether it's in texture or sort of clarity of stitch, like in colour, it was always important to me to use the yarns that reflect the way that I design and how I love to design. So they've always been smooth and classic and um, mm-hmm. not really more than, say, one colour in a in a ball. Or Instead of being sort of like space-dyed, or, mm-hmm. um, I've always kept to sort of classic, smooth yarns, right. and it's more about the blend. But then Glen is a yarn I've just come out with, which when I showed it to the distributors, I think they actually thought that probably I'd had some... <laughs> episode <laughs> are you all right <laughs> yes i know i've surprised myself but it's a it's a yarn it's incredibly light so you can do like big coats and you know big gilets mm-hmm. but you know as i say they are it, it is lightweight yarn it's on chunky needles but it it has a sort of ombre effect so the hmm. the the, sh- the shade shades tonally in a very subtle way so Apart from a few colours that are a bit brighter, it's say like the grey will go through dark greys to lighter greys. Interesting. And so I'm I'm right in my comfort zone, uh-huh. but but just absolutely loving the the, the effect that it gives as well. Oh, so neat. Glenn and Andy's are the two new yarns for autumn winter. Okay. Oh yeah, I haven't seen those ones yet, but I'm looking forward to checking them out. There's more booklets like there's a um, a book called Folk Chic, which is eight designs in my Rialto range. There's a booklet called Snow Queen, which is six designs in the more luxury yarn. Mm. There's a, um, I'm trying to think of all them. There's Land, oh no, Land, yeah, Land, sorry. Um, Land Girl is the um, Rialto range. Folk Chic is the Cashmerino range and Snow Queen are the luxury fibers okay. and then the two new ones. And then there's a, a new book called A Tweed Story, which is using the luxury Donegal tweeds. Nice. Wow. You, wow, you must, you have a lot to do, don't you? <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> I'm so impressed. Oh, my. Wow. Okay, well, there's... I, you know, but sleep, I, I think sleep's overrated. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Well, that's great. There's lots of fun new things for our listeners to try out from you. So that's good. That's good to hear. Well, I think that we've covered everything. Um, I just want to thank you again for taking the time out to be on the podcast today. This really means a lot to me. And it'll... It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Really having me. I feel very... Oh, of course. Very privileged that, you know, you wanted to do one with me. So thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Of course. And I'm sure that um, all of our listeners will just be so excited to hear from you so anyway well I hope that you have a really good day and um, I look forward to following what you do in the future and um, seeing all the fun things that you have in store oh thank you very much well I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about Debbie as much as I did as I mentioned in our interview I truly enjoy Debbie Bliss's new design it knit it series especially the book for babies Designing knitwear for children is something that really interests me, and I love Debbie Bliss's style, so this was a must-have book for my library. I encourage all of you to check it out. It's informative, inspiring, educational, and just an all-around beautiful publication, as all of her books are. 
So if this book interests you and you'd like to give it a try, I have great news for you. This episode's sponsor, Sixth and Spring Books, is generously offering 25% off the Design It, Knit It Babies book for the Never Not Knitting listeners and blog readers. Just visit the site at www.sixthandspringbooks.com and in the checkout process, enter the code NNKDB to receive the discounted price. This offer is good until October 30th, and I will be providing all the information as well as a direct link to the book in this episode's show notes. Also, as always, I'll be posting a drawing giveaway on my blog in the very near future, and you will have a chance to win a copy of your very own, along with some other amazing Debbie Bliss products. As a huge Debbie Bliss fan myself, I think that this is going to be one awesome giveaway, and I'm super excited about it. I'm still waiting to receive one of the prizes in the mail, but as soon as I do, I will post the giveaway on my blog with all of the entry details. Be sure to stop by and enter. Well, this has been one long and exciting episode, but now it must come to a close. Thank you for listening this week, and please join me back November 1st for a brand new episode, a great new giveaway, and a chance to hear from another awesome designer. As you know, one of my favorite things about this podcast are the knitting stories that I usually share from listeners. This season, I decided to mix things up a bit and share knitting stories from some of our favorite knitwear designers. So next episode, you can look forward to hearing a knitting story sent in by Melissa Worley from neonits.com. Don't miss it. As a reminder to everyone, the show notes for this episode and all episodes of Never Not Knitting can be found on my blog at nevernotknitting.com. You can also find me over on Ravelry as Never Not Knitting, and you can email me at nevernotknitting at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. She won't even do the dishes. The house plants, they're all dead. Yeah, her needles are a clicking from morning until she goes to bed she won't take the time to brush her teeth let's not even talk about her hair if it isn't about knitting she just doesn't really care she's never not knitting and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. Pop ramen again. She just won't stop the stitching. And the neighbors say it really is quite sad. I don't know about her. She used to be such a sweet girl, but now she doesn't knit. Nobody has clean laundry. No pants, no shirts, no underwear. But they have closets full of sweaters. And more socks than they could ever wear. There's yarn in the fridge, in the cupboards, the bathtub and pantry. It's even in the washer and dryer, 
that's why she can't do any laundry. I need some clothes. She's never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. I'm filing for divorce. She just won't stop her stitching, and the neighbors say it's really getting bad. She's taking pictures of socks again. Oh, poor girl. The house is burning up in flames. Call 911. Her husband says, Get up, let's go. But she can't set down her project. She says, Just let me finish up this row. She's never not knitting. And it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. She just won't stop her stitching And, well, she's losing all she had